All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 26th day of October, 2021. I do like to remind you that I publish a newsletter called uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. ChenPicks.com for Chen Lin's excellent letter that focuses a lot on the biotechs and the mining share exploration companies primarily. And uh, go to ChenPicks.com to to, uh, subscribe to what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. And we have Michael Oliver with us today. And when he's with us, we like to remind you that it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Check out Michael's work and uh, subscribe. I think you'll be pleased that you do. Uh, I'm certainly pleased to receive his letters every week. Uh, very, very helpful to me. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I'd like to encourage you to send along whatever comments you might have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. I want to thank our sponsors for this show. Today's sponsors, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp. Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. Before I get started today I, uh, with today's show, I should mention that I will be attending and speaking at the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver. That's on November 12th and 13th. And you can sign up for that event to attend either in person or to watch it online by going to the Metals and just go to metalsinvestorforum.com, metalsinvestorforum.com. Uh, you just need to click um, sign up uh, with your name and email address, and uh, you'll have access either in person or uh, or online. And that will be um, at the Hyatt. I'm sorry, it's at the, well, I've forgotten now where it is exactly. It's in Vancouver, uh, the Marriott. It's uh, one of the Marriott hotels in Vancouver. I've titled today's show, How Will a Bankrupt America Fund Socialism? Alistair McLeod, Patrick Highsmith, and Michael Oliver are with us today. The U.S. has three categories of buyers for U.S. debt, the financial and non-financial private sector, foreigners, and the Federal Reserve Bank. The banks in the financial sector have limited capacity to expand bank credit and American consumers are being encouraged to spend, not to save. Except for a few governments, foreigners are already reducing their proportion of outstanding federal debt And there is every reason to believe that trend will likely accelerate as they suffer losses from plunging bond prices in an inflation-driven rising yield environment. With that, dollar hegemony will be threatened as the Fed is the only one left to fund the deficit and they will be printing more and more faster and faster to achieve that. So the dollar could be in real 
jeopardy. At least those are the views of Alistair McLeod. The Fed has, though, of course, now they're talking a lot about uh, committing uh, to tightening credit by reducing its purchases of debt. The propaganda, of course, is uh, intended to blind as many Americans as possible to the fact that the real underlying cause of the most serious inflation threat in America since the 1970s is the enormous amount of money being created out of thin air by the Fed. To make matters worse, there is a dramatic slowdown in the uh, economic growth right now. In America, the Atlanta Fed, for example, is projecting a GDP growth of a mere four-tenths of one percent this quarter, and it's down from something like six percent or so earlier in the year. So the entire idea that the Fed can taper at a time like this would be laughable if it were not so serious. As Daniel Martino Booth said last week in an interview with Adam Taggart, and I quote, she said, the Fed can't afford to taper because the economy is slowing, but the Fed can't afford not to taper because of rising inflation. Well, whatever it does, the Fed, it seems, is destined to fail. Uh, and I think um, probably Alistair McLeod will agree with that. So the Fed is now being faced with two very bad alternatives. And the one is uh, keep the asset prices rising, uh, stock prices, everybody seems to be happy with that, um, and risk the potential of a dollar collapse or turn around and uh, put an end to this massive money printing and uh, watch the economy go off the cliff uh, and all these asset prices with it to save the dollar. Well, I uh, have my views on which direction the Fed will head, and I, I suppose you all do too, but uh, we'll hear what Alistair has to say in the second half of today's show about these topics. Uh, just in a couple of minutes from now, Patrick Highsmith, chairman of Firefox Gold, will be with me to give us an update on that company's excellent uh, results. They've really been uh, coming into some very high-grade assay gold assays in Finland and their project there and uh, Patrick will be with me right after the first commercial break but right now Michael Oliver is with me once again to share his thoughts on the markets thanks for joining me again Michael hi Jay you know um, we it seems like the Fed is between a rock and a hard place here it really does I what are your thoughts now which way are things heading in your view what are you what are you seeing uh, in the stock market some of these other markets um, we think they're pivotal. Uh, I think the stock market is topping. It's been a process of several months now. We've had some downside in the stock market that broke certain structures that said, okay, you got a broken ankle, broken knee bone, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, not, not backbone yet. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some backbone structures that aren't far below in terms of percent drop. About 3 or 4% below the market, you start to break some pretty big stuff. So in other words, this rally we're seeing now, uh, which over the last oh, like 10 market days has had you know incredible up, 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 up every day. Nothing explosive, just continual up. Um, S&P made new highs. NASDAQ is back at its high, NASDAQ 100. Um, and so, you know, everybody's cheering. But momentum is saying, uh-uh, you're up against resistance now. And then by certain of our metrics, frankly, in the area we are right now on the S&P, it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, within 20, 30 points of where we are, that, that it starts to stall and it can't afford to. If it does, mm-hmm. it starts to back off even a percent or so. I think it could start to drop down toward the real danger areas. And what's a danger area? For the S&P 500, looking out to, let's say, the end of November, instead of assuming anything breaks now, uh, uh-huh. down around 4,400. Now, you know, we're 45. 50 to 4,600 zone right now. So we're 150 points. Well, that's like three or so percent. So it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, you can't afford to roll back over toward that 
that 4,400 level, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll, you'll start breaking stuff. And it, it, all of a sudden, at that point, I think people will become aware of, hey, you know, this is uh, not, not, not what we thought. Uh, there's two other markets we're watching, though, that have moved with the S&P 500 and the debt markets. One is the muni bonds, and we watch MUB, which is an ETF of the muni bond market. And the junk corporate bonds are the high-yield corporate bonds. There's a couple of ETFs there, JNK and HYG. The Fed actually, back in March through May of last year, after the low and on the way back up, started to buy these markets outright. <laughs> um, in the case of muni bonds, they bought individual uh, the localities and state debt instruments outright. And in the case of the corporate junk market, debt market, they also bought the ETFs. It was mm. open. It was on their balance sheet. <laughs> they owned HYG, the ETF. Now, the, the problem was that these markets moved up with the S&P, and they looked sort of like the S&P's recovery from that March low. In other words, a sharp rebound. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But they divorced themselves several months ago. Well, the S&P has continued up. These markets, the muni bond ETF and the corporate debt ETFs, stopped going up and started to move down in layers. Nothing drastic yet. However, we've established some numbers below both the muni bond ETF and the junk bond ETFs, corporate bonds, not far below the lows we've seen this week that, if triggered, indicate to us that they're going to roll over. Now, Mm -hmm. the Fed has ceased buying these things and is now actually selling some of them um, Mm. over the last month or two. And sure enough, as soon as they stopped buying and started selling, it went down. These markets Mm -hmm. did. They divorced themselves from the S&P. Well, from the Fed's vantage point, those markets are critical. Mm-hmm. They can't have a problem with the municipalities not being able to afford their budgets and yeah. uh, corporate bonds suddenly going oomph. Uh, and I think you've got to watch those markets now because I think if they roll over, and it won't take more than a hiccup for them to do that via our metrics, that they'll begin to drag the S&P down and also begin to change at least the internal discussions at the Fed about whether we should taper or not, or can we find some data points that we can make excuses that we don't taper, mm-hmm. you know, such as the unemployment doesn't get really better, uh, like last month was not perceived as, as being very good. Uh, I think the Fed, if you start to see the muni bonds and the junk bonds start to roll over, watch them, because I think that could be pivotal in terms of causing the Fed to at least internally uh, choke a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm on their, their so-called taper policy, mm-hmm. um, because those, are, those assets are too vulnerable, too important to them, uh, even though they're not the kind of metrics that we watch, you know, once a month there's the unemployment, once a month there's this, that, and the other. Uh, these are important markets, and they're no, vulnerable to us. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if the municipal bond markets uh, start to have problems, or these junk markets, but, I mean, this explains then why. You know, for the longest time, I always expected you to have these higher risk markets should be ticking up when the interest rates should be heading higher as the economy got weaker or with all the problems we had during the pandemic and all. But no, they step in and they really disguise the price discovery of these markets, just like they do in the, oh, gold, yeah, with the they, gold. When they bought, I mean, it just, they just went vertical, you know. Yeah, so the Fed crazy. was a big That's, buyer. Yeah. And when they ceased to buy, they didn't go up anymore. 
Yeah, they're manipulating the markets, not allowing price discovery, and and yeah. I believe they do that in the in the gold markets too. Within uh, with I don't know if it's the Fed or if it's the major bullion banks. I, I know there's certainly a lot of people that believe the bullion banks go in and they slam the market down real hard from time to time. Ultimately, gold is going to go where it's going to go. All these markets have to. I mean, the rules of nature can't be changed by governments. I believe, Michael, you and I are on the same page on that, but. But uh, just a quick word yet. Uh, how do you see the gold markets now with just a, about a minute I or two gold left? Gold and silver is poised right below key levels. That if they engage them, it ends the debate. Mm-hmm. In other words, this uh, congestion zone we've been in for 16, now, now entering 16 months of up-down in gold, uh, more down than, than, you know, zigzag down. But we're now in the middle of that range, mm-hmm. either side of 1,800. Uh, 1825 is a key number for us. You close mm-hmm. a week out on the front month gold at 1825 or higher any week during this quarter, and we think that is the positive signal uh, from gold that says, okay, I'm coming out of congestion. And for right. silver, we got the 2490, the high in this rally that we just saw. Right now we're in the low 24s. In the low 25s, it does the same thing. So uh-huh. there's some numbers about a percent or so above the recent high that say, okay, we're through. We're going up. Mm-hmm. And it would right, surprise so, uh, me to see that happen with the S&P start to wobble at that point. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes on that and those those key numbers, Michael. And I know you provide that information on an ongoing basis to your subscribers. Also, we want to watch MUB. That's for the municipal markets, the municipal bond markets. And then there's JNK, I believe you said, and HYG. Uh, yeah. For the junk markets, so those those markets are very key. Then, and I, you've explained very nicely why that could be the case and why they're so important. I mean, if you those markets start to spike up at rates, uh, then the, the stock market starts to get some competition, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's synchronicity there between the trend of those two markets and the S and P. And right now, those two markets are trying mm-hmm. to roll over, despite mm-hmm. what the S and P is trying to say the other way. And I suspect if they roll over, they will win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Fascinating stuff, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us once again. Always always a pleasure to have you. I know our listeners love to hear what you have to say, so thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Patrick Highsmith will be with me to talk about Firefox Gold. They're making some really interesting uh, discoveries over there, some great assays. Uh, they've reported recently on one project, but they have many different projects that they're working on in a new greenstone belt where Well, actually, quite frankly, there is a new gold rush going on in this uh, part of Finland. So don't go away. To learn more about that, uh, Patrick Highsmith will be with me right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Patrick Highsmith. Uh, Patrick is the chairman of Firefox Gold. Uh, that's the sponsor to the show. Firefox is a company that appears to me to be on the verge of a significant high-grade uh, gold discovery, or at least it has a good shot at it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we can say that they've made a dis- – well, they've made a discovery. Uh, the economics, of course, uh, determining that are a ways away, but uh, a lot of really good – News that have come has come from that company's efforts in the uh, Greenstone Belt of, uh, of Finland, uh, underexplored area the, where there's really a new gold discovery going on. Uh, Patrick has had a great deal of experience in the past. Has uh, worked on more than 250 projects around the world. Worked for large household name companies like Rio Tinto, BHP, Billiton, Newmont, others. Uh, and now he's applying his talents and experience to helping this little junior mining company uh, make his shareholders wealthy, hopefully. And it certainly seems like they're on to the right track. Before I say hello to Patrick, let me just tell you that the stock trades in Canada under symbol FFOX. You can buy it in the States, as I have, under FFOXF. 102.1 million shares and selling around $0.28 cents Canadian, or uh, I believe that's about the approximate price, $28 million dollar market cap so it's a real baby uh but it has some great news and i'm glad to welcome patrick uh to uh to tell us about it thanks for joining me patrick thank you jay good to be here great to it's be called a, a baby as well at my age <laughs> <laughs> yes uh and i have a few trips more trips around the sun than you so i feel the same way um if if someone called me a baby but your your company is a baby uh but it has a lot of great things going for it so Let's hear about that. Um, you, you start out with this very large land package in underexplored Greenstone Belt of, of Finland. Uh, give our listeners just an idea of the land extent that you, the package, the land package, the size of it that you have. You know, several different chunks as I look at the map. Um, very large pieces of land. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. An emerging gold belt like this, quite frankly, there's a component of land grab, Jay. Mm -hmm, There mm -hmm. will be millions of ounces found here, but we have a large land position as if uh, operating like a major company would. We have about 800 square kilometers, 
And I'll just paint the picture for the audience. We're in northern Finland. This area is called Lapland, just north of the Arctic Circle. But, but as you can see on those maps, Jay, paved highways, airports, mm. infrastructure is fantastic up here in northern Finland. And so in that part of the world, you have a, a greenstone belt, and, and the gold portion of it is, is about 120 kilometers from sort of northwest to southeast and about 40 kilometers wide. And in there, as you say, we have several large groupings of projects that add up to over 800 square kilometers, making us, oh, the, the first or second largest tenement holder uh, amongst these several gold companies that control the belt. Now, you've had some early success on one of your smaller targets, and I say smaller because I'm looking at the map and I see uh, Mustajarvi, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, you've had some very nice assays coming out of there. Can you talk about what about those, perhaps, and also what you've learned so far about the geology of this of this prospect? Absolutely, uh, Jay. The Mustiarvi project, as you point out, is kind of in the central uh, southern edge of the belt, mm-hmm. um, and it is right off of the paved highway between two cities, Kittala and Sedankula. And mm-hmm. at Mustiarvi, a, a lot of your audience may have heard of it because we did drill some spectacular grade and announced that back in the early summer. We drilled a bonanza grade zone there that uh, over almost one and a half meters, we had 94 grams per ton, visible mm-hmm. gold included. But since we've talked, Jay, in September, we came in and uh, finished up that drill program and announced the last couple of holes in the program. And a little bit uh, down dip, a little bit deeper, still shallower than 200 meters below surface, we hit a thicker interval, 16 and a half meters, that averaged 7.7 grams per ton. Jay, wow. consistently mineralized. It's down dip from that bonanza grade zone. It includes multiple sort of half to one meter intercepts of quite high grade between sort of 24 and 43 grams per ton. Um, so nice uh, sort of thicker zone. So our, our bonanza grade zone is getting a little bit thicker and, and more developed. And uh, so we announced that result in September. Again, great result there, seeing it get a little thicker. Uh, we've learned a lot more about that structure. And really, as we consulted with our team, you know, friendly advisors like uh, Dr. Quentin Henney, uh, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours and others, mm-hmm. they said, look, get in there and do follow-up drilling around this high-grade zone. We really want to understand its geometry at this point, Jay. So as we speak, the rig is back at Mustiarvi. We've started drilling again. We'll go right through the winter here, and we put several more holes around the high-grade zone at Mustiarvi. And uh, even that, as you say, fairly small property, we've got two kilometers of strike length there where we've hit gold. And uh, we've actually moved across the highway to the northeast to test another target out there as well. So there'll be several more holes coming in from Mustiarvi. Uh, probably results will start to come in on that in late November, early December, I suspect. Okay? So more results coming at Mustiarvi. Uh, is this Mustiarvi, is this next to Rupert's discovery or not? I'm, I'm trying to That's remember where point. we're uh, It's a great point. We're in the sort of middle of the belt. If you go about 20 kilometers east of here uh, mm-hmm. and a little north of that highway I spoke of, you'll find yeah. Rupert's Ickery discovery. So we're about 20 okay. kilometers west of there. We adjoin uh, Rupert, of course, with our Sarvi project, which is oh. over there uh, in that part of the belt. Uh-huh. And um, so... So what are so what are your plans there then? Um, you're going to be drilling, I guess. You got a do you have a, a drill program established for most ERV? Yes, we're we're uh, we're close to wrapping up the next round of drilling at Moose RV now. The drill is there now. 
and it will be moving after that uh, to to the east. And uh, I guess we'll maybe it's because of the segue. We'll mention the Sarvi area because Jay, there was some news this week that I want to make sure we discuss. Our uh-huh. friends and neighbors at Orion Resources and B2 Gold in their joint venture announced mm-hmm. some significant drill results just west of Rupert's discovery. Uh-huh. Uh, it's on their Coupe of Walma uh, JV area, and in that area, B2 Gold announced a hole of 52 meters of just over 1.8 grams per ton gold on the same structure about a kilometer and a half west of Rupert's discovery. And that whole area is just about three and a half kilometers south of our Sarvi project. So we will be drilling Sarvi starting in probably late November or December, Jay, uh, with the first drilling ever on our new permits at Sarvi, right next to these exciting new discoveries from both Rupert and B2 Gold. So that's two projects. Um, I think you've also put out some news this morning, uh, as well as uh, concerning another a prospect, I think that's down in the southeastern corner of the belt, perhaps. That's correct. That's correct. If we jumped another 20 kilometers or so southeast, down near that, that lower right-hand or southeast end of the belt, we have a large project that's been with us since we founded the company called Yesio, Jay. And in, mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. northeast of that, our, our neighbor is Orion Resources. They've been working there for several years. We we uh, see, drive past each other in the field quite often. And in that part of the world, we've just completed a large sampling survey uh, using what we call base of till. We, we abbreviate it BOT, B-O-T, uh-huh. sampling. Mm-hmm. And BOT sampling is what led to uh, the Ikari discovery. Rupert was out there sampling through those glacial sediments for a couple of years before they generated the Ikari targets and what is now a 4 million ounce discovery. And we've collected now about 1,200 of these base of till samples on the SEO project. Think of it as kind of like a soil sample, Jay, and that it gives mm-hmm. you gold and other elements. And this is the precursor to drilling because you've got to sample through these glacial sediments that obscure the bedrock. In doing so, we reported today the results of that survey, and we had some beautiful targets in gold and various pathfinder elements for gold, things like arsenic, antimony, mm-hmm. bismuth, tellurium, right on that major fault, Jay, that shows on our maps, the Cerca Shear Zone, it's called. Mm-hmm. And that major fault uh, seems to be controlling a lot of the gold in the belt, and as that passes through our Yesio property, we have at the Utsamo target, we call it, several great anomalies from the base of till results. And that will be our next project getting drilled. The drill should arrive there in November. So that's three projects we're going to drill in this current drill program. Yeah, current drill program, which is, is there a calendar time on that? How long will that go about? When will you be finished with these three drill projects? That's right. The first phase of the program, Jay, is about 5,000 meters of drilling. And Mm -hmm. uh, that'll stretch right through the fourth quarter into, say, January or so. That's all fully funded uh, and currently on. And in total, we expect to drill uh, four projects during, uh, during that whole drill program. But the first 5,000 meters or so is mapped out, as we just described, and uh, that's all fully funded to take us into the new year. I uh, saw on Twitter somebody said, um, uh, I quote this, I don't know who this person is exactly, but he says, this is why I'm betting on Firefox, Firefox Gold. Similar structural trends have been reported by Rupert Resources across Area 1, and in particular, like the Ikari Discovery, which lies only five kilometers south of the tenement boundary. 
does that does that make sense? Is this guy uh, is this somebody we should listen to? Well, yeah, I, I certainly hope so, Jay. I, look, <laughs> we've done a lot of work. We have a we have a structural geologist on board since early sure. in the year who's been managing our work, and the success at Mustiarvi flows from the work of that team. And mind you, mm-hmm. we've we've known there was gold at Mustiarvi, but what we've done is drilled higher grade and and greater thicknesses therefore better potential for an economic discovery there at Moosey RV. And, and that analysis goes on in every one of our projects. This isn't Moose Pasture, Jay. You're in a fast-moving gold belt where another major, B2 Gold, in addition to mm-hmm. Agnico, who's mining up there at the Kitala Mine, two majors now are validating these discoveries, and analogs are a great way to find more gold, Jay. So absolutely, we're comparing a structural setting, the geochemistry, the rocks we're seeing, versus those being reported by Rupert and now B2 Gold and, of course, Agnico for the last number of years. Who are some of your major shareholders? I think it's always good to know who, uh, you know, who, who's investing in your company. Who are some of the big boys? Yeah, we've got a great shareholding base, Jay, and, and uh, the largest shareholder is Crescat Capital, a wonderful mm-hmm. gold fund run out of Denver here, and they've come on since June of 2020 as a sizable uh, investor and have been supportive in our recent financings. Uh, then we would have, uh, as our second biggest shareholder, Magnus Minerals, the private company uh, that was managed by my partner, Carl Lofberg, who's the CEO mm-hmm. of Firefox. So a lot of shares held at the board level. And then SSI Asset Management out of Zurich. Very, uh, very smart gold fund. And again, very supportive of this kind of exploration. And uh, Mike Gentile out of Montreal, a well-known gold investor, uh, kind of anchors out the sort of top four shareholders there, Jay. Yeah, it's always helpful to know you have good company in, a, in an investment that you take, especially for smaller shareholders. I think it's uh, it's always reassuring to know uh, smart people are invested in your in your story. Well, just summing up, then uh, I guess what we're looking for then will be should be a pretty good stream of of assays that you'll be reporting on. And and how are the lab situations where you are? I mean, it's it's you know it's taking forever in the in the states as you know and in Canada, but. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and labs are full there as well. We visited both the labs nearby to us in, in the Arctic of Finland back in July. And certainly they're busy. Usually I would say uh, September is probably the busiest month in the labs, Jay. So mm-hmm. hopefully it gets a little better here going into Q4. But it's certainly not going to be faster than that sort of six-week turnaround. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, we have uh, some additional permits we expect to be granted in the near term, Jay. That'll be newsworthy. Uh, some of our audience will be following that. And we'll have surface results to report from trenches that we've done, more base of till sampling. And as I said, drill results, new drill results will probably begin flowing in December. So there's a nice sort of load of catalysts there uh, as we go through this winter drill program. And we'll certainly keep folks posted with uh, regular news releases as we tend to do. Well, for a company with a $28 million Canadian million. Canadian $28 million market cap uh, and all the things you have going. I think it's it's a story to get excited about. Certainly one of the reasons it's one of my largest, personally, one of my largest holdings. And I want to thank you very much uh, once again for being with us. And uh, uh, we wish you all the best and look forward to keeping up with your story as we continue on through this year and into the next. Thank you so much for, for joining us again. Thank you so much. We'll keep you posted, Jay. Thank you. All righty. Okay, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but uh, I'm going to be back with uh, Alistair McLeod. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the issues 
that we uh, introduced in the start of the program today. How is the United States going to fund uh, its growing socialist expending expenditures? And that's the big question that we'll uh, ask Alistair to, to help us understand. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. And uh, let me, before I forget to tell you, you should make a, make a point of going to goldmoney.com every Thursday and look for Alistair's latest commentary. He writes every Thursday, he writes an in-depth uh, market commentary that I, I frankly don't feel I can be without. Uh, and you, uh, when you get to Gold Money, go to the Gold Money Insights link and then click on the research page, and it will take you right there to not only Alistair's latest, but as I was looking at it this morning, goes all the way back a long way as you can pick up articles that he's written over many weeks and months into the past. Uh, Alistair, thank you for joining us again. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. I'd sort of like to focus on your October 7th missive, the funding challenges ahead. My goodness, it seems like they don't get less, they get worse and worse, and more and more... Uh, expenditures uh, by this government for sure and I can't say it's more of a Republican or more of a Democrat issue it seems like every president spends more than its predecessor at least that's been the case in the last number of presidencies and so we're running these huge deficits uh, and how will they be funded that's the issue Um, I think maybe we're approaching something like trillion 30 trillion dollars now Lester the US yes that's right it's it, yeah. I mean, unimaginable numbers, um, uh, and there's no sign of it stopping. And you know, with President Biden being a Democrat, um, he's under a lot of pressure to consider continue spending uh, beyond uh, what can be raised in taxes. And uh, I mean, not just him. I mean, the same was true of uh, President Trump. Um, it just seems endemic, actually, not just in American uh, governments, but also elsewhere. Um, I mean, the 
deficits um, around Europe, uh, particularly in the Mediterranean states, are really mind-boggling. Um, and, uh, of course, the UK also has deficits, and uh, we're going to get a budget tomorrow when uh, our uh, young chancellor, um, you know, is going to try and sort of close the gap a bit between what um, the government actually raises in revenue and what it spends. Um, but we'll see how that one comes out. But I think your point is well made um, that, uh, you know, the deficit um, is a fixture. And unfortunately, it's getting larger. And um, the assumptions from the Congressional Budget Office mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are that, um, you know, it will sort itself out because the economy will start growing. <laughs> the most recent indications are that, um, uh, it's sort of running into a brick wall a bit because, um, you know, you have things not being supplied or not available and, um, yeah, you know, that you know, the truckers have still got COVID or what, I mean, whatever it is um, mm -hmm. for various reasons. Um, after the initial wave of post lockdown spending, um, the economy seems to be sliding to some sort of halt. So, um I think that it won't be terribly long before the CBO has to revise its estimates of uh, the government deficit upwards. Um, I think the baseline for this current year is around about three trillion. I suspect it will be somewhat more than that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, it's um, yeah, it's a problem, and how to fund it? That was the purpose of the <laughs> of the article which yes. I read back earlier in the month. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think it was the Atlanta Fed. Earlier in the year, we're predicting something like a 6% GDP. I know you don't uh, – GDP is another topic that you've talked about and not a big fan of GDP accounting. But nonetheless, it is a measure that we use, and they're looking at something like four-tenths of 1% down from 6%. I don't know what the, uh, you know, what the congressional budget people are basing their numbers on, but if it's four-tenths of a percent, I dare say that alone will add – you know, we'll reduce the amount of tax dollars that go into the Treasury and increase that beyond that $3 trillion area. And then we have, of course, looking at real growth, we have to subtract inflation. And then we have a very troubling, um, you know, I think 5.4 was the official CPI number, the last one, something like that. Uh, I know you also are very skeptical about, uh, about the true inflation rate as opposed to what the government's telling us. But in any event... Um, it, this can't, as you say, can't get better with, with these kind of dynamics, huh? Well, that's right. Um, and, uh, I mean, your comment about me not liking GDP and not liking <laughs> the, the CPI inflation rate, I don't like any government statistics. I mean, mm -hmm. quite frankly, um, they are either irrelevant or unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I think there's one use for GDP, and that is for government and government alone, because GDP is a guide to the government as to how much tax revenue they're likely to achieve. Uh -huh. what what it doesn't tell you is anything else of value. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, of course, um, you know, government and universities and, um, uh, you know, the investment industry um, have all succumbed to uh, Keynesianism, monetarism, or, um, you know, uh, modern monetary theory, if you like, more recently. Um, so they actually don't know anything about economics. Um, economics in the sense which it originally was, which is um, as a social science, 
turning it into using statistics to turn it into um, a, a, a science, a natural science like physics or chemistry or something like that, um, is completely inappropriate. And it's hardly surprising that um, you know after. Uh, finally getting rid of the last vestige of money from the currency system, which is what Nixon did in 1971. Right. Um, You know, that we sort of just gently um, sliding into a crisis. And um, that slide is no longer being gentle. It's getting into the sort of quite a rough ride. Which seems so, uh, right? I mean, another term that you don't like is stagflation, I gather, because I saw that I didn't get a chance to read the article, but... um, uh, it you know I lived you and I lived through the uh, through the 70s and uh, well, at least in the United States we had this very serious stagflation, what was called a stagflation. We had a, a, a the economy that was declining and uh, costs of living was going up very sharply. That I know is true. Call it what you want, um, and that seems to be where we're headed now. But wh- what do you think? The mainstream doesn't really want to attach. I guess it's this Keynesian economic theory that doesn't want to attach monetary growth with inflation um, and they're blaming things that you sort of touched on a moment ago that like um, you know supply chain disruptions and COVID people staying home and that sort of thing uh, the, the notion is that it's transitory it will only last until those things get rectified but in fact um, I, I don't know to what extent do you think those are legitimate reasons for the rising costs and to what extent might it be just an awful lot of money that's created or would it be the case if there wasn't money growth prices couldn't go up as they are i mean ba- yeah i mean basically um the, the root of the problem is um the production of of currency by um uh government and also by the banks but the one that we rarely notice is 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 government banks when they produce money by expanding uh bank credit um what tends to happen is it's a cycle so uh you know what they expand at one stage they get to a point where their balance sheet um uh, is bearing too much risk so they decide uh you know for various reasons that they need to reduce their risk and so you know the bank credit tends to contract but the base upon which it operates which is um uh, central bank currency um is expanding and so if the base is expanding the effect of it is that much greater over time um but uh, i mean w- when it comes to prices um if they stopped um printing money as the euphemism is, uh, then um, you wouldn't get a general um, uh, alteration in the level of prices um, in any dramatic sense. Uh, And that is now what we're seeing. I mean, we saw a massive expansion of um, uh, the Fed's balance sheet uh, last year. And, um, you know, this is a situation which is sort of continuing, though it's a bit confusing with uh, reverse repos, Mm -hmm. sucking out liquidity and all the rest of it. But um, the fact is that um, the root of the problem has been uh, money printing or the expansion of um, central bank currency. And... um, if you didn't have that, some prices would rise, but basically they would rise because resources would be shifting from other things to, towards mm-hmm. those, those, you know, those items. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, other, other items, if you like, would find that they're either not needed or their prices are just downwards and to, to a certain point where they are needed. So the thing sort of balances out. I mean, you'll never get a complete balance, but it sort of balances out. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the difficulty I think that um, uh, the public faces is that they see prices rising. And of course, for each price, there is a specific story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look at natural gas. I mean, natural gas this week um, has gone through the roof. I mean, it really has. It's up another 13% on the week, I think. Wow. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, and we can say that, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, EU hasn't um, authorized the opening of the Nord Stream 2 gas mm-hmm. pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or you could you could say that uh, Putin has turned around and said, um, I'm going to restrict the amount of gas going to Europe so I can drive the price back. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to believe. The yeah. Chinese are saying they um, are desperate for gas. And they have told their um, uh, electricity generators, go and buy gas and coal in the international markets. It Mm. doesn't matter what it costs. No one is going to shut down factories because of lack of electricity. So, you know, you've got a specific story there. But Mm -hmm. behind it all is that if gas prices rise, which they are doing, um, governments, uh, insofar as they're affected by it, will make finance available for the people who are suffering. So, you know, there is absolutely no break on 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 uh, the price rises. And, you know, it was as Milton Friedman uh, is probably his most famous quote. You know that that um, inflation is, is is a monetary phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it is. I, but I mean, you can't translate um, uh, uh, accurately, mathematically, if you like, uh, um, uh, a change in the quantity of of, of currency in circulation into um, uh, a predetermined price effect. Right. It doesn't work like that. What right. is far more important is whether people actually want to, you know, the degree to which they want to use a currency uh, uh, in exchange for goods. Right. And, um, okay, they've got no option in America but to use dollars. But mm-hmm. one option they do have is to hold no dollars. Now, if they hold no dollars, then the dollar has no no value as, as um, uh, uh, you know, as a medium of exchange. And so uh, it is, if you like, that human factor which you know, Keynesians, mathematical economists are just completely unaware of or just don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's that human factor that really drives prices against a background of changes in the quantity of currency in circulation. Uh, it is that definitely that uh, idea that the, each individual has a choice to make. And of course, Milton Friedman, uh, we could sure use a Milton Friedman or two around these days, but the idea that each individual has a choice, and it's a collective choice of individuals, not the government telling everybody they have to behave the same way, which is tends to be, I think, the thought process of the Keynesians. Uh, and they think they can put us into their models, and you know everybody's going to react the same way. It goes it smacks against the idea of, of individual freedom, which is so much a part of our culture, at least it has been up until now. But let's yeah. get to the the question of who are the uh, the contributors to the U.S. I mean, who are the financiers? Uh, what segments of society can buy U.S. Treasuries? You go into that your October seventh. Uh, article and uh, you mentioned there's the financial non-financial private sector there's foreigners and then there's the fed Um, talk to us a little bit why uncle sam can't defend can't really depend on the financial and non-financial sector so much and why um, it'd be foolish to continue to to believe that foreigners going to be kind to us and keep buying treasuries and lose money in the process 
Yes, I think I think probably the most important um, potential variable in this is 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 foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, foreigners, according to the U.S. Treasury's tick figures, uh, already own nearly thirty three trillion dollars worth of financial assets and bank deposits. I think something like a bit over six billion of that, six trillion of that. Sorry, is 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 bank deposits, but so they're already um, uh, very much invested in uh, U.S. Treasuries, uh, corporate uh, debt, and also um, equities. I mean, there's a very large portfolio element. I think from uh, memory off the top of my head, that's roughly fourteen trillions worth. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. In, uh, investment in financial uh, assets abroad is significantly less than that. So if you have a situation where everybody repatriates their funds back into their home currency, um, there will be very substantial net selling of the dollar. I mean, that that is clear. The problem I think that the foreigners will face is that um, as inflation price inflation, if you like, picks up. Um, And when it becomes apparent that it's not really going to just stop at 5.4 or maybe even 6% or something like that, uh, but actually go further, then there will be an anticipation of rising interest rates. It will be inevitable because if you're going to hold on to dollars as a foreigner, you're going to want compensation for the loss of its purchasing power. So, um, you know, irrespective of whether the Fed decides to uh, head this one off at the pass and raise interest rates to support the dollar, the fact of the matter is that, um, uh, you know, falling asset prices, financial asset prices starting in the bond market, and incidentally, um, uh, it's worth having a look at the chart on the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury 10-year bond. I uh-huh. mean, that's how... Technically, it looks like it's about to, you know, the yield is, is, is going to shoot up. I mean, there's a bit of a resistance at one and three quarter percent. But after that, there's nothing stopping it going on, up and up and up. So this is uh, a very live issue. Just put yourself in the hands of a foreigner. If you own U.S. Treasuries, you're going to see falling prices for U.S. Treasuries. You're going to see portfolio losses. You're going to see a Fed who will be reluctant to raise interest rates because the economy is slowing down. So what do you do? You're going to, um, uh, I mean, if you're a private sector investor rather than a government, because go- when it's when it's government to government, you know, you've got politics involved. Yeah, so exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll exclude them. But when you're a private sector investor, then you're not going to hang around, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of holding U.S. treasuries, which are going down. And then, of course, you've got the portfolio effect. Why is it that foreigners hold U.S. Uh, equities. Well, there is only one reason, and that is that they have diversified their portfolios into something which they think is going to give them a profit. As soon as that profit potential disappears, guess what? You've automatically got about 14 trillion worth of potential selling overhanging the market. Now, obviously, they don't all just sort of run out and sell at the same time, but you can see the effect on sentiment once interest rates start rising undermining the uh, bond markets and therefore undermining equity markets. 
So it's against, I mean, the, you, we started this, you were raising the question about funding. Um, how is the Fed going to fund in, you know, fund the U.S. Treasury debt in this um, situation? Well, I mean, I think I have to say that with the foreigners uh, turned sellers, it's going to be extremely difficult. And uh, um, what it means is that um, it will need uh, a reappraisal of um, uh, bond yields, like far higher bond yields, in order to attract foreign funds back into the U.S. Treasury market. Yeah. But your problem is, if you do that, you collapse the equity market. And, um, you know, there's about, as I said earlier, there's about 14 trillion worth of foreign interest in U.S. equities, which, um, you know, is not going to like the situation at all. Um, you know, the Fed is going to end up in a horrible great bind. Now, at the moment, they've, they've turned around and said, uh, you know, we're, We'll consider tapering, maybe from November, maybe from what to say, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know what they've done in the past is support the market through enhanced QE. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what they, this is what they did back in uh, March uh, last year. Now, if they're going to try and you know, if they're going to preserve the so-called wealth effect, then they're going to have to increase QE. But again, what does that do to the dollar? I right. Mean, you know, it's going to it, it, the foreigners are going to run scared, certainly from fixed interest if that happens. Yeah. Um, so you know, the magic, if you like, of um, creating this fear of missing out um, by because the Fed is underwriting the market, I think, could turn very much against uh, the Fed, and they're going to have enormous difficulties, I think, navigating their way through this. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it, not only does it. Um I mean, not only does it under undermine the equity market, uh, rising interest rates, but if interest rates rise with $30 trillion of debt, it's going to really increase uh, the amount of, uh, of red ink at the Fed, uh, at the U.S. Uh, government uh, red ink as well. So it's uh, it, it seems to me, you know, da Daniel DiMartino Booth said last week in an interview, uh, she said something like, the Fed is, it really can't. It can't afford to raise interest rates because of the slowing economy, but it cannot afford not to because of the rising inflation rates. So with just a couple of minutes left here yet, Alistair, inflation, I don't think you believe it's transitory. I think you think we're in a systemic spiral kind of a situation where it has to almost feed on itself unless the Fed can bite the bullet as Paul Volcker did in 1980, which I think nobody believes is possible at this stage. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, uh, I mean, you've, you've, you've pretty well echoed them. I think um, uh, uh, Ms. Dalmatino is, is absolutely right in what she says. There's a huge, great dilemma coming up, which we've just discussed. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I mean, the big question is that the Fed has got, at the end of the day, has got to make a choice. Is it going to protect the dollar or is it going to protect uh, the markets, financial assets, the wealth effect domestically? And I think it's probably going to end up trying to sort of steer a course somewhere between the two and uh -huh. satisfying neither objective. Um, I, I think that's a real possibility. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, the problems we have on the supply side, you know, with lack of products, logistics, lack of labor, um, you know, rising commodity prices and all the rest of it, um, you know, that is threatening uh, to uh, make consumers bring forward their purchases even more, which um, uh, lowers the purchasing power of the currency and runs the risk of uh, destroying eventually the purchasing power of the currency entirely. Oh, 
And then, I mean, it's it, people start to exit the treasury market. The treasury market is absolutely enormous. It's far bigger than the equity market and far, far, far bigger than the precious metals markets, right? So if there's an exit of uh, if there's an exit from the treasury markets, and money starts to flow into some of these other places, I mean, especially the precious metals markets. Let's say that interest rates continue to rise, and there's an exit from the from the equity markets. I mean, Michael Oliver was talking in the first segment today about the municipal bond markets and some of these markets that the Fed had been into, and now they're pulling away from, and those rates are starting to rise. Um, I mean, it's it's a mess. Yeah, it is. And there is another aspect which we haven't, we don't have time to talk about, mm-hmm. and that is that um, investing institutions seem to be buying into Bitcoin rather than gold. Uh-huh. I mean, they, they haven't got the plot. Bear in mind that it's 50 years since uh, um, uh, the U.S. government decided to try and uh, replace gold with the dollar as the reserve currency. So nobody in the system, uh, in you know, I mean, it covers the complete career of everybody in the financial system, apart mm-hmm. from a few old guys like you and me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, to, so to what extent? I mean, just real quickly here. To what extent do you think Bitcoin is really crowding? Is is having an impact on on the price of gold? Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that um, some buying that would go into gold is actually going into Bitcoin. But it's it, it it's quite complex um, yeah. because um, it's going, I think, more into Bitcoin futures now. Regulated yeah. funds yeah. got to go that route. Wow. Um, so it's rather like um, you know expanding the supply through printing paper, if you like, rather yeah. than buying Bitcoin itself. So um, I have no doubt that um, you know they could drive Bitcoin higher. But I mean, this is one for speculation. It's not for people who right, well, actually just want out of the fiat money we'll, system and want to protect themselves. We'll have to discuss that another day. We're out of time. Alistair, thank you so much for being with us again. It's always great to have you. Thank you that's so my, much. My pleasure, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, John Rubino will be with me once again. And uh, Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston of the Metals Investor Forum will also join me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.